0: All right, so if you haven't already turned to it, uh, we are in Judges chapter fourteen. Judges chapter fourteen. We're going to pray and get into our study. Heavenly Father, we oh we ask for your blessing, your anointing, for your Spirit to move and to teach us, to give us understanding of what we have before us. Lord, uh, there are many lessons to learn from the mistakes that um, people have made in the past, and yet you have used despite. Their failures, and um, so this is no different. Lord, the life—the life of Samson—you desired to use him mightily, and you did. And yet, he is a flawed individual, just as we are. And so, let us be encouraged by you, and uh, may, uh, Lord, may uh, Samson's insight be our foresight. May your word instruct us in that which is righteous and good, that we may grow in our godly wisdom, and therefore bless you with knowledge. And so, Lord, we commit this time into your hands, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, just a simple title to this evening's message is Right in My Eyes. So, you'll see exactly uh, what that's referring to, but Right in My Eyes, I believe, is the sentiment of of many of us um, on various occasions, um, more times than not. And um, that must decrease. We must decrease, and the Lord must increase in our lives, just as John the Baptist had written and he had said of himself. So, in Judges chapter 14, at this point, the child that the Lord had promised Manoah's wife, who had been barren up to that point, Uh, not only has been born, but he is grown. The Lord has blessed him, and the Spirit of God has begun to stir him, meaning the Lord was teaching Samson how to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to recognize and discern when the Lord was trying to get his attention and move him in a specific direction according to the voice of God. In uh, verse 25 of chapter 13, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And that's where we left off last week. Now, the word stir, and, and I want to really preface this chapter uh, with kind of pointing this out, uh, because we're going to see how it is that the Lord is, is trying to, to teach Samson how to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so we need to understand what this word stir means, because the Lord said here that he began to stir him Stir Samson. To stir, to stir something is to disturb the elements, right? You're not letting them set. You're not letting them sit. You're you're not leaving them alone. You're stirring them up, right? And so that's what the Lord was doing. He was stirring him up. He was disturbing that which was contained in his life. It also means to impel or to strike. Um, to agitate or to beat. And so you have this idea of of a, a cook with perhaps a batter in the kitchen and, and, uh, and that cook is, is beating and stirring and agitating that which needs to be agitated so that the ingredients will mix together and form that which is delicious, hopefully, that which is palatable. And so that word is used to describe what the Lord was doing in the life of Samson. So, the Holy Spirit was basically teaching Samson by getting his attention, by disturbing his life, agitating him at times, and even striking him when God deemed it necessary. There is a godly conviction and discernment that the Lord desires his children are trained to recognize to know, and to respond to. But as Samson exemplifies here, not all respond rightly, even when a life is disturbed or agitated by God to get our attention. Some ignore, and unfortunately, Samson is an example of this. In many ways, the phrase, right in my eyes, is fitting for Samson. We're going to see it twice in this chapter alone. And even though the Lord used him, it could have been different, very different. And he could have been used in a a better way, in a different way. Right in my eyes isn't always right in God's eyes. I've heard it and seen it in many different ways. Right in my own eyes is what we seem to say, if not in word, we say it by the way we live our lives. So for us, I believe this evening... If we allow ourselves to be open to what the Lord wants to teach us. If we humble ourselves before a righteous and holy God. He desires that we come under him. And learn what it means to be right in the the eyes of God. And not make that statement with life or word. That I insist on this because it's right in my own eyes. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's understand what the will of the Lord is. So verse 1 of chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah. And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is is right in my eyes. Timnah was a Philistine city, uh, which is found just west of the city of Bethlehem. And I believe the terminology is is very fitting, as we see here that he went down to Timnah. Whenever uh, we're going away from the Lord, we're going down. Anywhere... Away from the Lord is, is down. And he certainly was going down to the city. As it was there that his eyes met this Philistine woman. Of the people that were. Enemies and oppressors of Israel. And he desired her. Samson saw with his eyes. And he was delighted with her. He lusted after her. And Samson wanted her. Not later, he wasn't willing to pray or consider anyone's input. He wanted her now. Get her for me now. In fact, you may have the New King James version which says she pleases me well. Well, literally what that means and is found in the ESV is she is right in my eyes. She's right in my eyes. She pleases me, Lord, isn't that all that's important? That she pleases me? That she's right in my eyes? You have to agree that Samson comes off sounding like a spoiled child. Doesn't he? Telling his parents that he saw this Philistine woman and, 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 and wanted them to get her for him to be his wife again now. The, the, there's a sense of urgency there. Samson's parents, well, we read here how it is that they pushed back a little, but not much. But here's where we begin to see Samson's fleshly choices. He considered what he wanted more than what God wanted. Even when someone else, even his parents pointed out that he was making a mistake in what he was doing. Two things that are important to point out here. Number one is that Samson disregarded his parents. Can someone go get Isaiah? I'm just kidding. And who else? Okay, Mario. And... The, the, these are all good. You know what? For us, I mean, sometimes we look back at a study like this, and we consider these things, and, and then we realize how wrong we were in times past when we disregarded the counsel of our parents. When we completely did away with it, not, not even considering the counsel of our parents, right? Because this is a very important point that we need to learn, that we need to understand. Because this is the first error that Samson made. Well, his first error was even considering the Philistine woman. Number two is this here, where he completely disregarded his parents. I know. Parents can sound outdated. Can, that's what we're told, right? You're outdated. You're old-fashioned. You're disconnected. You don't know what's going on today. But maturity will regard what they are saying and then test it against God's word. That is, and, and here's here's um, what is the true test of this. If you regard God's word as being absolute truth. You know, sometimes we believe that our children are are saved just because they they know they have they have knowledge, right? They have knowledge they know. So they should know better, right? They should already get they should love Jesus and they should uh, desire to serve him. But you know what? We should not take that for granted, at least not their salvation. That should be the one thing that we lead them in. In that, you know, they can have all the head knowledge. And, and, it, and it hadn't, if it hasn't sunk into their heart, if they don't know Jesus personally, then they don't know him at all. They really don't know. It doesn't matter if they have all the book knowledge if they don't, aren't surrendered to him. And, and when parents talk to their children, as others counsel us, when we completely disregard their godly counsel, really who we're rejecting is God himself. Because we're not taking that counsel and then asking if it perhaps does it line up with God's word. And just simply asking that question. Because when we are in love with the Lord, we will seek to bless him. And we will ask that question. Does it line up with God's word? You see, his parents were trying to tell Samson that he was going against God's word. That warns against marrying outside of Israel. God's chosen people. Today, godly parents would say the same thing to their child who would desire to marry a non-Christian. And this is... I'm not hating. I'm not, um, you know, saying that... uh, you know, as, as far as, you know, other people, they're not loving or can be loved or can love. I'm not saying that at all, but we are warned very explicitly in the Bible. Let's go to it if we consider the word of God, that which governs us as his people. Right. Second Corinthians, chapter six, verse 14 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do you have any questions so far? It's very clear, right? Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? That's what comes after that. And then you can go on to the following verses, and it continues to expound on that and to really clarify in great detail. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. Says children, following this line of thought in regards to Samson's parents and warning him of God's law. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It, it's abundantly clear, is it not? I, I don't need to explain that, right? Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you. The Lord desires that things go well with us. And so when we have godly parents that are giving to us godly counsel, we are to take their counsel in the Lord and obey them. And it says here, and that you may live long in the land and in my home. Right? But Samson insisted on marrying whom he wanted. And thus it brings us to the second very important point. Because it leads right into that. Secondly, Samson disregarded God. And that was the bottom line. He disregarded God. God was very clear in his law in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 3 through 4 that the Israelites were not to intermarry with the people of the world. And and the same reason God gave to the Israelites then for why they were not to be unequally yoked with a non-believer is the same reason God gives us, as His people today, that very same command. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3 and 4 says, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons. Here's why. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. That's the why. You want to know why? You know it's a lot of times our kids they get to the age, I think it's about when well when they start to talk, right? They say their favorite word is why. Why, right? And then when they get about 12, they start asking it again. Why? And then they like do this thing. Why? It's like what happened? You know, what is that? What's in you, right? But they, don't they do that? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, all right. Okay, so we're not the only ones that have children that do the dance and why, right? Well, this is the why. You want to know why? This is the why. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. You know, that's that's justice. God is love. This was the warning. God's love is this warning. Warning, warning, don't do this because if you do do this, your hearts will be turned away from me to serving other gods. And then justice will come because I'm a just God also. I'm loving, I'm warning you, but, but warning you at the same time, I'm a just God. I do discipline. That's what he does. You would think that a non believer would be the one influenced by the believer, right? And turn to God. And although that can and has been the case in some instances, one is running the risk of that not hap- happening. And oftentimes, it does not happen that way. I've seen it over and over, it's been tested and proved over and over and over again. I've seen it with my own eyes. People insist, no, no, no. I know. I'm doing missionary dating. I'm dating the world to win them to the Lord. Uh, that's, that's not the way to win them to the Lord. Oftentimes, it doesn't happen that way. You know who's the wisest man in the world? Who walked the face of the earth outside of Jesus. Who is he? Solomon. And yet, check this out. He was warned and took other wives, and his heart was turned away from God. the The, the wisest man on earth. First uh, Kings chapter eleven verse four. It's documented for us. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not. Holy, true to the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father it 's there, right before us. God God warns us, this is his love, He warns us, please, follow my word, and it will serve you to guard you, to be your, your, your those rails that keep you on that path, that warn you of uh, impending doom, you know the, the cliff is right. In front of you, make a turn. But I want to take it even further. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Because this is even when marrying a believing wife. verse 32. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 32. So the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy uh, in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's a Christian spouse. If that's true of the Christian spouse, how much more Are we to heed God's word in regards to an unbelieving prospect? You know what I mean? One that we're considering. One that we're dating. Are you any different? Are you any wiser than Solomon? And do we know better than God? And of course, the answer to that is no. Please note that the desire here is to acknowledge what the inclination is. Of even us as Christians. Within the Christian marriage. And then. When we acknowledge this. When we know that this is our inclination. To please our wives. To please the husband. In this manner. When we have this knowledge. We respond. By not being divided. But being of one accord. With your Christian spouse. To being together devoted to the things of the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you acknowledge what we just read, the warning that the Apostle Paul gave by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it was God breathed. It's there for our benefit. When we acknowledge that, we then come together as spouses in the Lord and devote ourselves holy to the things of the Lord and not pull ourselves, pull, pull our spouses in directions that are not a demonstration of being devoted and committed to serving Him. I see that all too often. Even with Christian marriages. That still we don't consider even that. And we're And the husband is being pulled, the wife is being pulled, if they're not both on the same page. I could spend the rest of this evening just on that, because I've seen plenty of it. But just know that this is the word. This is what we have before us. This is the warning. This is something we are to acknowledge and respond to. Why? Because we consider the word of God supreme. It is preeminent in our lives. We desire to bless the Lord above all else, even our spouse. Do you understand what I'm saying? That should be it. If we love Jesus, if if he is the one whom we look to, then we look to please him above our spouse even. Now, Can unbelieving people be loving and be loved? The answer is yes. But that is not the point. God's wisdom says that an unbelieving spouse will turn your heart away from him. Period. That's it. So the warning is there. Right? Verse 4. Verse 4 says, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. I want to address this verse by itself. Uh, Here's a question. Does God desire to do things through an obedient person or a disobedient person? You can answer. Obedient or disobedient? Obedient. Yeah, he'll do what he needs to do and and through anyone. Why? Because God is sovereign. But the word is very clear. He desires obedience over sacrifice, right? He doesn't want to hear, I'm sorry. Uh, Please forgive me. What, What he wants to see is simple obedience. He desires obedience. So therefore, if we know God's word, we'll know... Okay, he, d- he doesn't seek to do things through disobedience, but through obedience. God was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines, yes. But remember that God had also commanded a strict consecration of Samson's mother while she was pregnant and a Nazarite vow to be lived out throughout the life of Samson. God never desires compromise, but can and sometimes does sovereignly use a person, even if he does compromise God will still use Samson to begin to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines we know that he 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 said this in the last chapter that we studied that this is what he's going to do but it will come at a great cost to Samson because of his compromise it will come at a great cost to Samson because of his compromise Our evil acts are never justified as something that serves God's righteousness. His righteous works will come about despite a person's evil acts. Righteousness is not produced through evil. In fact, James 1.20 says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Sometimes we justify it as, That's just the way I am. I'm just... Very expressive in my anger. Well, it says here in James 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, we cannot justify it. Righteousness is never never produced through evil. So that's why I wanted to tackle that verse by itself. Verse 5, as we continue... It says, Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with a woman, and she, again, was right in Samson's eyes. Notice several things here. Number one, where did Samson? Samson went down to where? He went down and he was now in the vineyards of Timnah. He was a Nazarite from birth. Was he supposed to be around vineyards? Was he supposed to be around grapes and grape products and wine and strong drink, so on and so forth? No. He was not. It was something he was to be removed from and consecrated to God for for his purpose. So he was selected by the Lord. You are to be separate unto me, separate from these things. Grapes and wine is a symbol of joy. And for Samson, his joy was to solely be the Lord. No substitutes in any way, shape, Or form. Nothing. His joy. His fullness. Was to be the Lord and the Lord alone. He was to be sensitive to his voice. To hear from him. To walk in righteousness. Samson Samson was not even supposed to come close to compromise with wine or strong drink. But even though Samson was in this place. God's spirit empowered him. By coming upon Samson, in order for him to be able to preserve his life, but it wasn't Samson's natural strength. It was God's spirit that came upon him that empowered him to take this lion and destroy it. It just absolutely destroyed, it. like a like a little baby. Uh, what was it? A little baby goat? Is that what it said here? Yeah, like a little young goat, like a baby goat that's barely been born. They're fragile, right? And he tore it apart just like that. But it was because he was empowered, because the Spirit of God came upon him. He had superhuman power, and he was able to destroy the predator. When we're in a place of flirting with compromise and sin, we're putting ourselves in a position where Satan will attack. It's not if, it's when. It's when he will attack. And he will make every attempt to destroy you, to devour you. It's in that place where you remove yourself, you put yourself in, a, in that position of compromise. And Satan will come around and he'll seek to, to take you out completely, to kill you. That is his in, intent. You need to find that way of escape and take it. Avoid putting yourself in a position of potential compromise. Secondly, yes, the Holy Spirit came upon Samson. But right after this, Samson was still seeking to please the flesh instead of the Lord. This is, like I said, all of these things should be for us. Kind of like, um, let's not let our guard down. Because the Spirit of God came upon Samson. We, We need to be careful. Because just because God did a great work through you doesn't mean you are free from being tempted by the flesh. Sometimes we think, oh, the Lord, how powerful was that? You know, like, that was so awesome, that that thing that we did. You know, we just went out witnessing, and and we were used to lead so many people to the Lord. and, And we prayed with so many, well, your next step, if you put your guard down, can be a step of compromise if you allow the flesh to take first place in your life. To draw back from keeping your eyes fixed on the Lord. Oh, the enemy is right there waiting to pounce on you. Just know this, right? Sometimes we we can um, fall back into saying, well, that wasn't very encouraging. No, but it was very loving. What I'm saying is that the most loving thing that I can hear is a word of warning, right? Just know that just because the Spirit... Used you right now doesn't mean that you can't fall victim, you could say, by your own doing to the flesh the next moment. You can. Be careful. Because it says here, then he went down and talked with the woman. And Again, she was right in Samson's eyes. Couldn't he have like considered what what just happened here? I destroyed this lion because the Holy Spirit came upon me. Oh, Lord, I am an awesome fear of you. This was amazing. It can only be the Lord. And here's this Philistine woman. The next moment, he's saying, "Ah, She's right in my eyes. The things we find ourselves emotionally attached to can be the most difficult to detach ourselves from when in conflict with God. Let me say that again. The things we find ourselves emotionally attached to can be the most difficult to detach ourselves from when in conflict with God. In Mark chapter 10 verse 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake. And for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if we could only learn this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What would you be willing to leave for the sake of Christ? What would you be willing to do away with in your own life? Those things that you insist on. Again, Pastor Frank talked about forgiveness. Why is it that we're still struggling with forgiveness of others? Can I just be open with you and be very bold as to say it's because of your own pride? Because of your own stubbornness? Because although you say, Lord, at the same time, you're saying, no, Lord. He's not your Lord. Let me be very honest with you. He's not your Lord if, you're, if you keep saying no. He may be your Savior. And let me tell you that if you're not showing any fruit or any obedience or submission to him, I don't know the heart, but that's questionable. It's questionable. If there's absolutely no desire to bless and honor and glorify him in your life. We should. We should allow the Lord to inspect our hearts. That whatever it is that he reveals in us that is not of him. That we would be so deeply convicted and broken before a righteous and holy God. That we would cry to him. That we would beg him for forgiveness. And then walk with him. Denying ourselves. Taking up our cross. And following him. Even if it means separating from one whom you have allowed yourself to be emotionally attached to. But is not a believer, oh but we 've been dating for such a long time they, they still haven 't been one to the Lord, but you know they 're coming along. What about that one remember that remember that thing that I, I I read two times, right, just so that we would understand that which we are we get ourselves most emotionally attached to is the most difficult to leave behind and detach ourselves from when it is opposed to God. But I love that person. But does that person love God? Um, Is that thing that you insist on doing, we we can even remove ourselves from people, okay? Is that one thing that you insist on doing, partaking in, that thing that you love to do, is that, is that so important in your life that you're not willing to do away with it in order to please God and glorify Him in your life? Is it that important? And that's your God. That's your God. Let me just tell you, that's your God. You've put that in His place. When we become so emotionally attached to something... That we're not willing to do away with it when it is opposed to God. That's our God. For Samson, she was right in Samson's eyes. He wasn't seeing the situation through God's eyes. He was seeing things through his own eyes, through the flesh. Verse 8. After some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. The results. These are the results of a life lived in disregard of God. This is evidence of it. This is where it comes to. Samson was not supposed to touch any dead animal or person and here he was following his own appetite. Complete disregard for God. He knew God's law. He knew the Nazarite vow. He was a Nazarite from his birth. And here he was doing the very thing he was not supposed to do. The honey was inside the carcass of the dead lion, and from within it he took the honey and even gave some to his parents. Defilement. This is what this is. This is defilement. They didn't know where it came from. And this just goes, this is the the simple fact here. The, The truth of the matter is, this goes back to Samson disregarding God and instead following the appetite of the flesh and succumbing to it. It's just evidence of it. We haven't seen any evidence of Samson denying the flesh, have we, up to this point? We haven't seen any evidence of Samson denying the flesh in order to bless and honor the Lord. But then it continues. Verse 10. His father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. Now let me explain to you what this feast was. This feast was like a um like a house party um perhaps house parties are more well known in the eighties and um if you if you weren't if you lived in the world, then you would know what a house party is right a a backyard party you guys know about the, you guys you guys are so holy and righteous. Unfortunately, I do know about these. (laughs) House parties, backyard parties, keggers. You getting the picture? Yeah? All right. This is what we're talking about. What the world would define as a typical bachelor party. That's what this was like. We don't read that Samson himself drank. But he did put himself in a very precarious situation. A very dangerous situation. He may not have had alcohol. But 30, who showed up? 30 what? 30, 30 of um, his godly friends? No, 30 Philistines showed up. 30, Phil, 30 bad boys showed up. <laughs> it was implied that these were men that his wife knew. They were her people. It was during this party that Samson played a gambling game with his guests giving them a riddle to figure out, and wagering 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. It would be like wagering 30 expensive suits today. You know, a, a suit could cost a good suit, I don't know, $1,000? For, for, we're talking that starting price for a, for a li- really good suit. Um, I'm not talking about men's warehouse, the sales, you know, two for $500. i am not talking about those talking about good suits or better suits, because I have those. (laughs) Good suits, 1,000. Can you imagine? Okay, so 30, 30. So we're starting at about, this would cost $30,000, 30,000. That's a lot of money. That was what the wager was. It's quite common for men to bet on stupid things when partying. I bet you I... Dumb stuff. Again, this is an example of Samson's inclination of following the flesh. Instead of denying it and following the Lord, there is danger in doing so. He put himself in a very dangerous situation. He was following the flesh all the way up to this point. It was all about the flesh. That's what we see with Samson. He was supposed to be consecrated unto the Lord, and yet he was following the flesh. That was it. So Samson put together this clever riddle and presented it to these 30 men. And for three days, they could not solve it. And they were getting frustrated. They were getting angry. They were getting very angry. Because in verse 15, as we continue, it says, On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother. And shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day he told her, Because she pressed him hard. And she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, before the sun went down, so just before the party was over, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. They were basically asking for mercy by asking her to make Samson tell them the riddle. Notice that they were, they were telling her, have him tell us. They were asking her to do the work, knowing that perhaps she can persuade him uh, to turn around and give up. That, that's what they wanted. Please, please have Samson give up on this riddle and, and perhaps have mercy on us. But then they took it a step further. Like, like, talk about crossing the line. It wasn't just, hey, you know, have him tell us the riddle, but we're going to burn you and your father's house. Wow. They threatened her life and her father's life in the home, their family. Because we know that this wager, it was, it was big. I mean, we're talking about this. This would have taken all of their money if, if they even had that much. You know, to provide all of this. So instead of Samson's wife coming and telling him about the threat, and here's, here's the thing. Instead of coming to Samson and telling him about this threat on her and her family's life, she kept it a secret and worked hard to manipulate him to give her the answer to the riddle. Samson's wife was not sincere in her love for him. It was obvious. Now it's, it's showing she was only interested in saving herself. She was she was not in, interested in saving them in their marriage or interested in in the home. But but she was only interested in saving herself. She worked on him until he caved in and told her the riddle and the answer to it. And then she turned around quickly and told the riddle to her people. And that's how they're described. Her people, right? When a woman manipulates her husband to get her own way without consideration for the relationship, let alone God. Let me reassure you that she's working on destroying the marriage. Manipulation may work to get your own way, but it'll undermine the marriage. Yes, her life was threatened, but her trust in being protected should have been in her husband. And she should have told him what had taken place and how she was threatened. Trusting that her husband would take care of her, would take care of the situation. But when a man is manipulated and gives in, because it says here, she worked on him. She worked and pressed him, right? When a man is manipulated and gives in, and he knows what his wife has done, resentment and anger will begin to set in his heart toward her. There may be superficial peace for the time, because you're like, okay, you know what, just to keep the peace, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and go along with it. But I, I, know, I know what she's doing. I know she's manipulating me. I, I know she, what she's doing. There may be superficial peace for the time, but the effects of the manipulation will surface in areas throughout the marriage. It's like cancer. It'll continue to work throughout the whole marriage. There's bitterness, there's resentment, there's anger that starts building up. The same is true if the man is doing this to his wife. So before we say it's only the the husband can do it too. Manipulate. Manipulate the woman to do what he wants her to do. For his sake, and really, because he's just selfish and self-centered, I've seen men do this. What in the world? What? what why? Are, why are we doing this again? We're only undermining our own marriages. That's what we're doing: bitterness, anger, resentment is continuing to build, and, and then we wonder why there's problems in the marriage. You know, well, what have you been doing this whole time? Have you been building it up? Have you been of one mind, devoted to the things of the Lord? Do you put his word before everything else? Does it govern your marriage? Do you allow him to govern you? Samson knew how they got the answer and was very clear with them on how he felt about it, right? His response was then used by the Lord to strike fear in the hearts of the Philistines. That's what, that's what the Lord used. Samson's reply to them says, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. But what we have in the next verse is really evidence of what we read in the fourth verse. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. And verse 19 says, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil, and gave, their gar- gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. It was not the revenge that was the main thrust of Samson's actions, but God using the situation as an opportunity against the Philistines. It was at this time that the spirit of the Lord because this is what we read it was at that time that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and it was at that point that he struck down 30 Philistines and took their spoil and garments and gave them to the men who had told him the answer to his riddle The time of anger was demonstrated when he went back to his father's house But prior to that we see how the Lord rushed upon him he that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. That was when he took out the 30 Philistines. And the Lord began to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines by the hand of Samson. He was using him. And it was at this time that his wife left him and went off to be with his best man. How sad, right? How sad to conclude this. This marriage lasted Seven days? That was it. Seven days. That's, that's, that was it. It was quick. I want to conclude with this. Samson's pride and disregard of God and following what was right in his eyes came at a great personal cost. We see that, right? Yes, God still used the situation to begin to strike fear in the heart of the Philistines, but it could have been done with a humble... God-fearing, obedient Samson instead of a fleshly, prideful, self-centered Samson who disregarded his God. Remember what we talked about? The Lord prefers obedience, right? He wants to work through a vessel who is open to, willing, and submitted to the Lord, devoted to Him, completely set aside for Him. And even though there are many mistakes here, we can learn much through it, can't we? There's a lot of lessons here that we can learn. God is sovereign. God's use of a person doesn't mean they are godly because God can use someone despite their compromises. That, that is sobering. That is, like, don't think... What that forces us to do is not think highly of ourselves. Right? Like, at any given moment, if we're used by God, thank you. Thank you, right? And, and, and we're so thankful that he used us, and then, but we, we stay on guard. We're watchful. For ourselves, the flesh can rear its ugly head. The world, we can succumb to the world. The, 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 the temptations of the world and others around us can lead us astray if we fix our eyes on other things other than God. We can't look back and say, oh, God, you used me in so many ways. I'm godly, and here I am. You guys, I'm, I'm just here to bless you guys, <laughs> right? Right? oh, careful, oh, careful, careful. We need to be humble before the Lord and be watchful. But see, God desires that we be equally yoked. Listen to our parents when they have godly advice and not put ourselves in compromising situations. All of this. In our marriages, we are to trust one another and never make attempts at manipulating one another to get our own way. We should we, we should repent of that, confess that, and ask the Lord to lead us in the way everlasting. It's always at the expense of the marriage. Instead of doing what is right in your own eyes, seek to know and do what is right in God's eyes. Father, forgive us, for we have done much wrong. Oh, there is still so much that we, oh, we need to learn and... We know that as you reveal those things to us, um, Lord, we, we need to be humble before you and, and agree that those things are not of you. And that we need to um, align our, our sight with you according to your word. That we may bless you and honor you. To love you perhaps in a way that reflects your love to us. Lord, may we not be fleshly, carnal saints, but may we be God fearing saints who are filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit that we may not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So be with us, help us to be aware, sober minded and always seeking to bless you. In Jesus' name we pray.